0: Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise course. It's a dime You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. we we'll we celebrate a boy who was kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 15.
0: Bobaton and Durmstrang.
1: Bobatons and Durmstrang. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Obviously Anna's back with us.
0: I go like forever without being on an episode and now you have me four in a row. I Uh, hope you guys aren't sick of me.
1: Oh, We've had some really great conversations over the last couple of chapters. If you haven't listened to the last few episodes, please do yourself a favor and go back, because it's been some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and we have another good one uh, on this chapter. We get a big one. Obviously, oh, like. we get the two schools arriving at Hogwarts. Sweet. Uh, however, that followed a long time of them not getting to the two schools. I know, really?
0: When you think about it, the two schools are, like, <laughs> barely in it.
1: Yeah, it's one of those misnomer chapter I'm just titles. i not
0: given enough time to say Bobaton. <laughs>
1: Yet you've squeaked it in twice in under a minute. Oh, as
0: many as I possibly can this episode.
1: Constant vigilance is what I'll have. <laughs> Keeping you in check. Anyway, uh... Got to that joke quick, too. Uh, anyway, tangents off the, <laughs> off the get. So, what do we have, other than the two schools arriving in this chapter, uh, is a, a rather unconvincing letter written to Sirius by Harry...
0: Come on, I that's it's understandable.
1: A, it's a very unconvincing letter. He's fourteen. Which series tells us as much. <laughs> so it's it's fine. <laughs> nice try, Harry. Anyway.
0: I will admit I liked the <clears> moment <throat> where Hermione was trying to yell at Harry for the unconvincing letter. Yep. And it was one of those rare moments where Ron realized what Harry needed more than Hermione did and just said drop it. I like the moments where Ron is a little more in touch than Hermione. Yeah, I, I did like
1: that moment because it's not Ron snapping at Hermione. So it's one of those moments where Hermione's able to just be like,
0: right. oh. Right, she actually recognizes. Okay. Like, oh, okay.
1: That's fine. Like, she I feel like it. if Ron snaps at her there, Hermione's coming right back at him, you right. know? So I, it was that was a nice moment. I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a nice way to say shut up <laughs> is essentially what shop. it is. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, we get a random time jump of, quote-unquote, next couple of weeks. You
0: love the random time jumps. Don't say you don't.
1: Don't you tell me Manny Brocklehurst didn't have a moment in those weeks in late September, okay? She had her moment, and they it was cut
0: actually it. actually Eloise Midgen who had the random moment. Uh,
1: they had their moments, and it got cut. Uh, anyway, that's what fan fiction's for, I guess. <laughs>
0: exactly. God bless fan fiction.
1: Uh, we, we have a big moment in Moody's Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom, which we'll get into in depth. Uh, and then uh, we get a little bit of McGonagall. We get a Hogwarts of History mention. So Woo! Always have to mention that. Hermione drops some knowledge, um, in, into one of the things that you mentioned a couple of chapters ago about, uh, the Hogwarts of History neglecting.
0: Oh, don't worry. I things. wrote down what she actually thought that it should be. A highly biased and selective history of Hogwarts, which glosses over the nastier aspects of the school.
1: It's a much catchier title.
0: Obviously.
1: (laughs) We will change the name of our podcast immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah. And then, uh, speaking of Hermione, she gets awfully aggressive about her new club that she has started. Spew. So. We will jump. S-P-E-W. S-P-E-W, yes. You just want to jump right into the, the moody... Classroom, or do you want to talk a little bit about that unconvincing letter? Or what do you want to jump in with?
0: Let's go right into that lesson. I feel like that lesson is where the interesting stuff is.
1: Yeah, so the last chapter was Unforgivable Curses, and you and I had a really great discussion, both non spoiler and spoiler, about each of the curses and kind of what they mean to the wizarding world as a whole. But this particular lesson focuses specifically on the Imperious Curse. So Moody's idea is that he's going to place the curse on all of the students, and his reasoning is they need to know what it feels like so they could potentially in the future recognize it and thus break it.
0: The part... He also tries to claim that he's doing this with Dumbledore's permission.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that's the case.
0: I know, right? Do we really think that Dumbledore is okay with the Imperius curse being put on all of the
1: students? And is it only the
0: fourth years that's happening to?
1: I liked your point. I I think Moody views this as important enough that this is probably his first lesson to To every class he teaches. Uh, I will concede that the seventh years are probably taking this a whole heck of a lot better than the first
0: years probably are. (laughs) Oh my god. Those poor first
1: years. Yeah. I, you know what? That's the phrase. Those poor first years.
0: <laughs> New hashtag.
1: Woof. Uh, they are getting an introduction to <laughs> Hogwarts. Uh, but yeah. I would say that if Dumbledore was made aware of this teaching plan, he would be more okay with Imperius curse being placed on students than the Cruciatus curse being placed on students. certainly hope so. Uh, At least this is a more quote-unquote teachable moment that you can get through, but...
0: Well, he's not making them do anything, like, too, I guess, awful and outrageous.
1: No, just a little light embarrassment and move on. Uh, Well, so... uh, They give us a description of a couple of students. Dean... Is made to hop three times while we'll singing the national anthem. Pretty innocuous, whatever.
0: God save the Queen.
1: Oh, Lavender Brown is made to imitate a squirrel, which in my head is just that fits. fits. Oh, it's so amazing. It's just perfect. I don't know that Moody had any inkling as to who like, Lavender I feel like Brown is. It wouldn't is. even
0: be hard for her to do that. No, I, no. it's just
1: perfection. I don't know why. <laughs> I, it's weird that we have that same thought, I guess. Uh, Neville is made to do gymnastics that he is clearly not capable of doing outside of any kind of coercement. So I, I actually kind of want to watch that. But...
0: I would definitely want to see that.
1: Uh, I also
0: just had a random thought. Do you think wizards have the same national anthem that muggles do?
1: Here's, I'll throw this back at you. Dean, who's a fan of regular football. Yes, because
0: he was muggle-born.
1: Might just be singing the regular, the national, like, God Save yeah. the Queen national anthem.
0: And all the rest of the class is like, what is he singing?
1: Very well What's could a be. queen? Yeah. <laughs> that could very easily be the thing, yes. Uh, well, that was an unexpected back and forth. Uh, so I like it. Yep. Yeah, so we get to the description. Once we finally get to Harry, we get a sense of what this is. And he describes a wonderful feeling, floating sensation, as every thought and worry was wiped gently away. Nothing but a vague, untraceable happiness. Immensely relaxing. So you kind of get the sense of what this is. And honestly, the, the note that I took away from it was the feeling of being under the Imperious Curse only leads you to fall deeper into the Imperious Curse. Because you like that feeling. You like the immensely relaxing feeling.
0: Well, I do think there are certain personalities who would like it much more than others.
1: What, you're thinking like strong type A... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like a strong type A dominant type of person but is going to be more inclined to not like that than the kind of more even, introverted submissive type person.
1: But even they would like the wonderful feeling and the the thought right. of Every at some every...
0: point everybody likes the feeling of like not having to worry about it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So even th- even if some aspects are like, "Oh, that's weird." It's got a piece that everybody wants to feel. And you almost lean into that feeling once you feel it. absolutely. So it's almost like one of those traps that just makes you fall deeper into the trap, Mm -hmm. willingly, almost. Uh, Sure. So that's the note that I took away from kind of the description of the feeling.
0: I think I'd be terrible at fighting it off.
1: I mean, not many people can. So it's... It
0: is intriguing that Harry at 14 years old is able in his first lesson, even in his first try, to fight it off
1: at all. I do have some spoiler thoughts surrounding it, but I did want to throw this back at you. That's not a spoiler thought, because Jen, in one of our previous episodes, brought up interesting points surrounding Harry's ability to shake off the Vila effects. Oh, Initially, at the World Cup, he gets lured into the villa, and he's about to jump off the balcony and and join the the villa. But as he progresses later in the chapter, or yeah, later in the chapter, and they get out of the stadium, and they're going through the woods, they run into a villa that's surrounded by men, and and Ron, yes, and (laughs) and Ron gets lured into it immediately again, and Harry resists it a little bit, and he's like, able to still think clearly and not get lured into the Vila trap. Do you think similar things here? Like, what are your thoughts, given I threw that at you?
0: It is an interesting comparison because obviously it speaks to something in Harry that's something about his personality, his strength of mind. I feel like he is just the type of person, he's never just gonna take something at face value. I mean, like, from the very first time he came into Hogwarts, he wanted to know all the information. He wasn't scared to go into the third corridor. He wasn't... Like, he just... I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, there must be something about him that he fights off those things. So I think it's a good comparison.
1: Yeah, it's just something that I thought of. um, He has his own
0: opinion, and he's going to hold that until something legit sways him something he trusts sways him okay it's a random stranger voice or a random stranger persona
1: sure yeah it's just something that you know Jen brought up and I kind of alluded it back because Vila have a very similar sway over someone of yeah. just kind of taking them out of reality for a little bit and oh, kind of you injecting think that them says about well it's not great, if I'm just going to be right? blunt about it. It's I just know. not great. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking
0: too, my poor baby. Uh,
1: just bluntly speaking, not great. Um, but at least in this context, Ron is very much not alone. Because mm, yeah, everybody else in the class gets sucked into it. And, you know, to Harry's point, or to the Harry point of it all, he does get sucked in too. Uh, he he, does. he gets sucked in with the feeling. And then uh, he's told to jump onto the desk. And the way he describes it is another voice in the back of his head just goes, "Why?" That seems like a stupid thing to do, really. Like, why? But then ultimately, he has this like inner struggle with himself, and he ultimately decides to both jump and to not jump, not right. thus in sending there, him in headlong life. into the the desk itself, and quote, fracturing both kneecaps. Seems like a problem. Which, for the record, not addressed the rest of the chapter like at all. all, They say he hobbled out of the classroom.
0: Because I thought it was interesting. He said Mm -hmm. it felt even worse once Moody lifted the Imperious Curse. Right, because that sense of happiness and floating.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that that numbing swing of the, the mind leaves and you're stuck with what reality is.
0: I think I would like to know. How well Hermione did? What I mean, is there something about Harry that he just, like, doesn't fall into traps, whether they be positive or negative?
1: He's had happy moments in his life, and he's had some not-so-happy moments in his life, so maybe he's able to register, hey, this emotion feels right, or it doesn't. Yeah. Maybe a little bit better than others, because he's had such like drastic that. swings.
0: I like that.
1: Instead of having, like, a full, well-rounded life. Like, everybody, everybody's happy, sad, upset, whatever. Like, Ron can have all of those emotions in a day.
0: But Ron was raised in the borough, which we all know is, like, this happy kind of a... Not Homie idyllic, yeah. but yeah, he yeah. had a pretty great childhood. So is that why he falls into that trap more readily?
1: We are, Well, I don't know how... The Mirror of Erised might play into this, too, because, like, Ron wants and desires certain things mm-hmm. that Harry does not. Harry has yeah. a very different idea of what contentment is. Yeah. So Ron's maybe a little bit more susceptible to the Vila or to this, because if you tell him this is what you could have, he he wants that? Versus Harry's a little bit more, eh, I'm. I'm not sure that's what I'm going for. Yeah. You know I don't know. There's a lot there. We got really deep on that. And I know. Right. <laughs> I wasn't expecting personalities. To. Personality. We probably will double back on this in the spoiler section because yeah,
0: <laughs> I know I'm like biting my tongue a lot. I'm like. Don't there, say there's that, Anna.
1: there's a lot more to talk about as far as uh, this Imperious curse bit, but uh, we get a couple of other scenes. Uh, we get so everybody is a little bit on edge, particularly the staff with the two schools coming in. Mm. And everybody wants to put on their finest show. For sure. Uh, Particularly Filch is really trying hard. (laughs) Good for him. Uh, But everybody's trying to make it spotless. I think Harry notes that all of the paintings are being scrubbed. Yes. The coats of armor have all been polished, you know.
0: Well, and I think he even compares it to how Mr. Weasley said they all like to show off. Yeah. At the this is a great callback. It's yes. a great callback. Line. Yeah, it's a great comparison.
1: It also shows you Harry's, which goes back to the Vila thing, of Harry paying attention to what Arthur says. Yes. And takes note. Yes. And uh, and Arthur With had his that.
0: own children, just kind of let it.
1: Yeah. Uh, but Harry takes note of it and, you know, pays attention to people giving good advice. <laughs> um, so anyway, and Arthur had a lot of good advice surrounding Vila. It's great. Uh, McGonagall's a little on edge. He yells at Neville, poor Neville. Over switching spells. I don't
0: know, that was sad.
1: He switched his own ears onto a cactus, which...
0: I hope the cactus didn't switch onto him. I feel like that would hurt. But
1: I, all of it would hurt. Like, if it, would his ears yeah. being switched onto a cactus and being pinned, would that hurt him? I would assume so, yeah?
0: I, I, yeah, I would think so.
1: I don't know. I'm I'm going to call myself out here. I'm not going to lie. If that happened in class, I would laugh. I... I, I <laughs> I'm not gonna lie; it would be such a ridiculous thing that I would laugh at it. I full disclosure, <laughs> it's one of those things. In 15 years, I probably look back and go, "Oh." <laughs> but at the moment, I would totally laugh. At being that. most 14-year-olds, I'm would sorry, laugh. I would. I'm just full disclosure. You could
0: self-realize.
1: <laughs> now, I will say, Neville's very low-hanging fruit here, as far as Hermione being very aggressive about her uh, badges.
0: Oh, you kn- yeah.
1: Like, she is aggressively pursuing people, like, literally shaking a tin at people to collect payment. Well, like
0: she's, like, trying to be like, you know your food, your fire, all of it <laughs> is because of enslavement.
1: This is not Hermione, this is not a fantastic example of Hermione being tactful. She is going yeah. full hardcore into this, and poor Neville gets shaken down by Hermione for, he for the two sickles.
0: Well, Neville also, like, I think there's a little something-something there with Hermione.
1: Oh, do you know?
0: I do! Interesting. I think Neville would have a crush on Hermione.
1: Yeah, probably. We actually get the arrival of these two schools at the very, very end of this chapter, in like the last four pages, and I'm not exaggerating. It's like the last four pages. Yes, it is. So, we get uh, all of the students piling out uh, to witness their arrival, and we have first arriving... Bo-baton. There you go. Uh, they arrive in a powder blue horse-drawn carriage the size of a house pulled by elephant-sized winged palominos.
0: Those are really big horses.
1: They're really big. I think they described them as golden, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which just adds to the pageantry. And they
0: only drink single malt whiskey.
1: I love how uh, so Madame Maxine <laughs> is our uh, headmistress, if you will uh known as uh well described as an unnaturally large woman and she is so preoccupied with only a certain kind of individual can handle these massive horses and she keeps on about it and Dumbledore is just like no 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 we we got somebody for that are you sure they're really big horses they're really wild Dumbledore's like no we got somebody for that
0: I don't know. I actually thought she kind of let it go pretty quickly.
1: Like,
0: I don't know. If I had horses that big, I think I would want to make sure they were cared for.
1: She got on it like two or three times, I think, on Dumbledore. Like, you sure? Dumbledore, are we sure about this?
0: I love that she calls him Dumbledore. I had forgotten about that.
1: I don't do a great French accent, but that, that's what I imagined that to be. In. Uh, another added detail that they threw in here was the coat of arms with two crossed wands emitting three stars. And I like to throw in this detail that, unlike the movie, uh, boys and girls are from this school.
0: I am all about that. Co ed education.
1: I am also for co ed education. More realistic. But uh, we don't necessarily know that for a fact from the other school.
0: I know. Like, I think it's a weird omission. It kind of just makes me think omission's a good
1: word. It seems like an odd omission. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, So we get Dermstrang. Uh, arriving in what is described as a ghostly, skeletal-looking ship as if it were a shipwreck, emerging from a large whirlpool in the middle of the lake.
0: I'm just going to say right now, I think this is a much cooler form of transportation. This is how I would have wanted to show
1: up. The ship, specifically? Yes. -hmm. I I was literally going to ask you which would you prefer, the ship or the carriage?
0: Definitely the ship.
1: I agree with you. It's a very... I think both are very cool ways of magical transportation, The only thing that would throw me about the ship is, do you get seasick? Is it sea travel? Like, how is that And see, I don't
0: get seasick, so I'm not worried about that.
1: I'm presuming it's an inland lake. So do you, like, go down one whirlpool and up another, or, like, how does that work exactly?
0: And how do you think Hogwarts would have traveled?
1: I'd assume the only special form of travel that they have is the carriages that take them up to the school. Right.
0: I think I know where you're going, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'd assume something related to that. It would be a creepy way to do it, given...
0: Kind of boring compared to these two. Well, a car- flying carriage is like, pretty straightforward. I feel straightforward. like the way they went all out to clean the castle and make the castle look different, I feel like they would go all out to come up with a different form of transportation specifically for. Like I don't think Durmstrang just had this like ghostly skeletal structure okay, so, hanging out.
1: Okay, Anna, I know you're one of your. I, I'm not going to speak for you. One of your favorite versions of Dumbledore is the Jude Law Dumbledore.
0: Oh, he's my favorite version. Absolutely. Okay,
1: yes. I didn't want to speak for you there, but I, that's
0: fine. I appreciate it. But he you, you could have spoken for me.
1: Fair enough. So, here's the differences between Dumbledore's that the the three that we've seen. Jude Law version of Dumbledore, I think, would be showy, right. and I think he would have some very Dumbledore magic where he's like, "I'm Albus freaking Dumbledore. We're gonna do something spectacular, right?" Yes. And he would have done something spectacular. And it would have wowed. But the other two versions of Dumbledore, I could also, and honestly, if we're separating it into a fourth, the book version of Dumbledore, I don't know that he cares.
0: That's true.
1: I think he'd just literally show up on a doorstep with just, like, apparition and just been like, we're here. hi." Like I honestly don't think he'd care.
0: No, you're right. Yeah, I could see that. You're right.
1: So, I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. <laughs> I, on screen, I would love to see Jude Law's entrance. But in reality... I know, that's
0: really what I want to see. In the but book right. of Dumbledore... Where we're at in Dumbledore's life, he's probably just like, I am who I am, I don't need special he means of ap- transportation. He would like literally...
1: Dumbledore. He would find a way to apparate everybody at the same time, just show up on a doorstep and be like, I guys, <laughs> we're here. Tell us. <laughs> Wolfric Brian Percival Dumbledore here to... <laughs> Here to greet you. I'm sorry. Anyway, I broke Anna. This was he great. You did,
0: he did. All right. So. <laughs> we're going to ask that question now.
1: You're welcome. <laughs> so we also meet the headmaster of Durmstrang, uh, getting back to the whole entrance thing. And all we're told is Professor Karkaroff is the man. And the detail that I loved about Karkaroff is uh, Harry notes something very... Interesting to me, and it's probably an innocuous detail, it's not meant as much. But I love that Harry noticed he had a smile when speaking to Dumbledore that didn't seem to reach his eyes. Oh. Which I took note of because to me, what that means is while Karkaroff is probably happy to be there and happy to greet Dumbledore and happy that Dumbledore is greeting him at the mm-hmm. front door. It says to me that he's still putting on a little bit of a show. That oh, he doesn't yeah. genuinely share the same enthusiasm for being there, I guess. You know what I'm... I don't know if I, I'm...
0: No, I do. So, to me, when a smile doesn't reach your eyes, means a show is being put on. Something about yes. him is fake. Yes.
1: yes. Like he's still hiding something, or he's not being fully genuine.
0: The part that stuck out to me in her description was so i think he has like a goatee Mm -hmm. but that it doesn't it didn't manage to hide the fact that he had quite a weak chin
1: i that was an odd detail what do you take from that
0: so i feel like it's just the fact that she used the word weak at whatever if you don't have a strong jawline i'm not saying that automatically means something bad about you but the way she phrases it my immediate thought is that there's something about him that is cowardly.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. Wow, we both took real interesting, in depth. Yeah. Good for us. <laughs> good for us.
0: We have good English teachers. <laughs> we did. Uh,
1: well, wow, look at us breaking down a character's <laughs> appearance, and uh, well, wow, good for us. I will say, <laughs> reading that, I was like, Interesting that Harry's breaking down a jawline. <laughs> I
0: know, right. <laughs> I did have that thought as well.
1: It was like it was one of those moments in Harry's narration that just took me out of it. I was like, really? Harry breaking Thinking down a jawline? There. Yeah. Really this
0: is yeah. nothing.
1: But okay. And then we get the uh the the mic drop moment. JK's mic drop moment of the chapter. Yeah. And uh they notice a somewhat familiar figure coming from the ship, like the first one out right behind Karkaroff. And Karkaroff's like, I'm sorry, I need, I hope you don't mind, but we need to get this particular student in the warmth.
0: She's so dramatic.
1: <laughs> and uh, that student, as Ron notices, and as Harry's mildly like, Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Victor Crumb, or Crumb is just it's the last crumb. word. Just Crumb. Drop, mic drop, and capture turns. Yep, yes. <laughs> Crumb, yes. So we get a Victor Crumb who has a cold apparently and needs to get in the warmth Poor Victor. Yeah. And throughout this book, I'm I'm trying because the description of him from the Quidditch World Cup does not match <laughs> my vision of Crumb, and I'm trying to hold on to the description that she gives the, so the hard. The
0: foot is has always been my favorite, but right, that's the way it's described, right? Duckfooted? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's always been my favorite part is that he's a little awkward on land that his grace only comes in on a looks.
1: he's the image of a bird of prey like relatively thin Mm -hmm. and cuts through the air like his nose is beakish a little bit
0: but i think he's awkward like i like that his physical description on ground is not what you would expect from a world-class footage player Yes.
1: And I'm trying to hold that image in my head through this because it's not my original image of him. And I'm trying so hard. If you
0: follow, I think his name is Stan Mm Unevsky, who played him in the movie. If you follow his Instagram, his appearance... Particularly nowadays, is not going to be anything like what you're trying to hold into <laughs> yeah, I your know. head. I
1: know. <laughs> so... Well, him in the movie, he played more of the big brawny type, yes. the quote-unquote stereotypical jock. Um, so yeah, there, uh, speaking of, he was actually this is going to be a shameless plug for <laughs> LeakyCon, but LeakyCon is actually coming to Chicago in 2023. And he will be one of the guests um, at LeakyCon in Chicago. So there you go. Uh, we may or may not be a part of that. We'll see how things go. But Fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, so there's a shameless plug for LeakyCon. I hope they
0: <laughs> come to Chicago. Yeah, help us
1: out uh, in some form or fashion. But anyway, so we'll probably end it right there. We do have some stuff to talk about in the spoiler section. So come back for that and uh, we'll be right back. All right, so we're back with the spoiler section, and there's still a little bit to talk about here. We got the Imperius Curse, and we're talking, shockingly, if you've been with us for the last several <laughs> episodes, some more Crouch thoughts.
0: Do you think we have a crush on this man or something? Uh,
1: we kind of do. We have a Harry Potter crush on this character for... I, I'm not even going to say for whatever reason. We've clearly documented exactly the <laughs> reasons, reasons why. Are. The first bit I want to talk about is... Harry being able to resist the curse, and uh, I talked about it a little bit in that Jen episode, and why he might be able to resist the veal a little bit. And here, I specifically took note of that phrasing. Uh, quote, another voice in the back of his head. And yes, that could be your conscience or whatever. My take on it is, he's got, if you've watched Dexter, you know the the term passenger. He's got a dark passenger with him. And that passenger is a little bit of Voldy's soul is Mm -hmm. in him as Horcrux that was never meant to be made. Um, So a little bit of Voldy is in him. And we do know from the other Horcruxes that that latent piece of soul is not exactly a resting soul that that does have a little bit of agency and a little bit of power to it. Uh, It's obviously given him the the parcel tongue part of it. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it's it's there and it's showing itself. Do my my ultimately the question is to you? Do you think the part of Voldy's soul, as Voldy is a powerful wizard and he's obviously shown abilities to uh, battle through Legilimens or Occlumens or whatever, because he has his own skill set, uh, not particularly vulnerable to mental attack from what we've seen.
0: Your parcel tongue comment is the only thing that I'm kind of like, eh, maybe that was helpful to Harry. But from where I usually think on it, is that piece of Voldemort being inside Harry is usually more hindrance to him than help. Like like you said, Voldy is a skilled, occupant, yes. like leg- I can't say that right. Legilimens, yeah. Um Harry's not, so it's not like it's helping him do those things. Why do we think it's helping him fight off the Imperius curse?
1: I think this is more of a subconscious thing. I think if it was strictly just
0: But I would say Harry is a strong enough character. Like I don't I think once that horcrux is gone from him, I think he's able to fight off the Imperius curse as well. Like, I think there's something inherently strong in Harry. I think in the non spoiler section, you spoke pretty poetically about maybe Harry's life experiences so far. Sure. Have left him a little equipped to recognize what is realistically that he's feeling. Mm -hmm. And I would be more inclined to think that's what that voice is more than the Horcrux. Okay. I, I see where your thought process is. And it's definitely a possibility, but I would be inclined to say that piece of his soul is not going to do anything to help him.
1: I just, uh...
0: Especially considering we know the person trying to put the Imperious Curse on him is loyal to the piece of soul inside of him that you're talking about. Would that piece of Voldemort's soul be able to recognize that? Would it want him oh. to be able to control Harry?
1: Uh, I don't know. That kind of gets into our secondary. <laughs> I guess where else I'm going with that, and the, my counter to what you just said was uh, would be that piece of Voldy's soul manifests its way in the parcel tongue, most bluntly. Yes. Other ways it manifests are when Harry slips into subconscious, like dreaming. And and it creates that like link between the two, mm-hmm. like the Frank Bryce dream. And so if it can slip, if it's there and it's part of his subconscious, this voice in the back of the head that's just like, Harry, you know, is being swept up by the, the feeling of it. It's a wonderful feeling and it's like, like, whatever. And he's feeling all of that. That is something he's describing to us. And then all of a sudden, from the back of the head, someone, when a just instruction is made, is going like, nah. Oh, that's stupid. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Like, that's that's not what we're doing right now. You know? And then it just strikes me as, like, not a hairy thing. It strikes me as more of a Voldy being like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, no, no. no. <clears throat> I mean, you make a good argument.
1: So... I'd, I'm not saying you're wrong, and I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying you're wrong. It's probably... It's
0: an interesting Like, all things is
1: probably somewhere in between. Exactly. (laughs) It's a combination of, I believe...
0: Harry and Tom Riddle, it is pointed out regularly throughout the series, there's a lot of similarities between the two. So maybe Harry does have the ability to fight off an Imperius Curse. Maybe he doesn't do it on the first try at 14 years old without that piece of Voldemort in the back of his head. Like you said, the subconscious, that is definitely an added argument for me. You kind of almost sway me with that part of it. So I think maybe it's just a combination of the two of them together.
1: Yeah. uh, To your point, I I agree. Like I said in the non-spoiler, there's a lot of... Inherent qualities about Harry that make him able to maybe throw off some of these things a little bit easier than the normal kid at 14. So, probably just leave it at maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. And and maybe Harry's uniqueness and how he's grown up combined with the undeniable influence of Voldy on him.
0: Because he's a kid. He fights off a lot of things that, like... Like, in this book alone, in the graveyard with Priori and Cantonum, which I don't want to talk about it too much because I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about it once we get there. Sure. But what is it about him inherently that he's able to push back? He defeats Voldemort in that moment when their wands are battling each other. So there's definitely something about him inherently that he fights pretty hard against things outside of his own person.
1: But As we've noted... And as the book has noted many times, (laughs) Harry's a very special boy. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. Um, You had a great question about Crouch that you wanted to get into.
0: Oh, well, okay, so keeping with the Imperius Curse being put on Harry.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. My question was kind of like, so we know it's Crouch. You would think he would want Harry to remain more vulnerable to an Imperious Curse attack for his master. Why does he push Harry? Why is he... You know, like, I would think when he realized that Harry has some innate ability to fight back against that first Imperious Curse, he'd be upset. Why does he push him to be able to fully battle and overcome the Imperious Curse being put upon him? That would seem like a disadvantage for him and his master.
1: Great question. Um, I like it a lot. So, I have a two pronged response to that.
0: Thanks for saying prongs.
1: (laughs) You're welcome. So, to your point, I think it's safe to say that Barty Crouch Jr. is reporting back to Voldy with any information that he might glean. Whether it be from Dumbledore, Snape, Karkaroff, who we know is a former Death Eater. Mm -hmm. I... I don't... That being said, I don't think he's like, guess what I did today? I made Draco Malfoy bounce up and down as a ferret. I don't think he's doing that.
0: How is he even communicating with Voldemort, though? I mean, Hogwarts is one of the most protected, pe- protected places on the planet.
1: Yes. Uh, that being said, neither Voldy or Barty Crouch Jr. are dumb. No, I know I'm, that. I'm sure they could figure <laughs> some... Moody can go out to Hogsmeade and go for a drink at the Three Mm. Broomsticks and get something out. I
0: mean, I guess it could be as simple as an owl.
1: An encoded message. I'm sure they're not, I'm sure they're not dumb. No. They'd have, I'm sure, can you imagine Voldy being like, no, 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 you got this. I'll just sit here in a house for eight months. Fair enough. (laughs) Touché.
0: I'm sure he's going to want, like,
1: keep me updated on this whole thing. Um, so there's that. That's one thing. I'm sure, I'm sure Barty Crouch is relaying some of this. Like, hey, Harry Potter is actually somewhat remarkable in some ways. And I'm sure Voldy's going to want to know what those, like a scouting report of sorts. And then the other part of it is, uh, and it goes back to a conversation we had in the last episode of, you know, is Barty Crouch Jr. a good teacher or not? Or his interest in Harry Potter specifically. I think he's genuinely intrigued. I think he's genuinely like, we actually got one that can can resist this. I kind of want to test this. like Just the genuine human curiosity of like, wait a second. Of all the people that throw this off, you're telling me Harry Potter is the one? That can't be a coincidence. Let's figure this stuff out. And just him being like, a super smart person just in general yes he's a death eater and yes he's a supporter but he's also got this like I i'm wonder. starting to
0: wonder if he has something that he just should have been like the wizard version of like a neurosurgeon where he just wants to understand how the brain works like is that the real reason he kept he wanted to be there with the lestranges putting the cruciatus curse on frank and alice like I, maybe there's maybe. just something about him that inherently wants to know about the human reaction to.
1: Let's not forget that he is a son of Barty Crouch Senior, nah. who knows two hundred languages. Oh, that's so
0: wild! I haven't gotten to address that, and I like feel like that's just like false advertising. <laughs> <laughs> like. I mean, I'm sorry, that's freaking impossible.
1: I know. I, oh my god, it's I think it's he insane. has,
0: like, a personal pensive to,
1: like, <laughs> save
0: all of his languages in.
1: I, but, I, I mean, it's important to remember who we're exactly talking about. Yeah. Like, this guy is inherently brilliant. Yeah. And with brilliance comes curiosity. Great responsibility. She got me with the Ben Parker. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: i'm sorry i just threw you off
1: with with great brilliance comes great curiosity yes yes that's exactly how that phrase goes there's not any other ulterior version of that anywhere
0: more accurate for this particular person Uh
1: i don't know did any of what Uh, i said make any sense that the two things with it
0: it did it did
1: you seem unconvinced.
0: I'm, well, I'm more inclined to believe the curiosity part of it. Mm-hmm. Where he is just intrigued by Harry, the ability of a 14-year-old to fight him off. Because he knows he's a great wizard. He knows he knows how to put the Imperious Curse on a person. I think I think he would regret it. I almost wonder if that would be a part that he would omit from his reports to Voldemort because I feel like I don't think Voldemort wants Harry Potter to be able to fight off the Imperius curse.
1: Well, let me rephrase the question and spin it right back at you is in general, the whole premise of this defense against the dark arts class to the point we know it is he's teaching what the unforgivable curses are under the pretext of knowing what they are so you can defend yourself against them. Mm-hmm. Does Voldy really want anybody at Hogwarts to know how to, like, fend off a Cruciatus curse or fend off an Imperius curse? Or like, no. So, I mean, in theory, he's going against the game plan as a whole. You know what I mean? I do
0: think Voldemort is the type, though, who would like Harry Potter to know what the Cruciatus curse is. Before he puts it upon him. Because, like, inherently, I don't... Is there a way to fight off the Cruciatus Curse once it's put on you? I don't think there's a way to fight off that extreme pain that is put on you. Like, yeah, you can dodge it. But once it's on you, I think that's it. You're done for until it's lifted from you. So, like, I think Voldemort would enjoy Harry having the knowledge of how much it's going to hurt.
1: Before it does. I can't believe I'm the one saying this, but... I think we're getting a little into the weeds in that we're starting to, it's sounding to me that we're almost insinuating that Voldy is literally making the curriculum for his Defense Against the Dark Arts classes. Yeah. And,
0: and I don't think that's the
1: case. I don't think that's the case either. Yeah. So I think Barty Crouch Jr. is honestly teaching what he knows, which is no, dark yeah, curses.
0: True too. Yeah. So he's
1: leaning into... Like like Lupin, leaning into what he knows. What does Lupin sure. know? Dark creatures, because he's aware okay, of it. But
0: Lupin taught other things other than just dark creatures. I
1: am sure he did. But from what we have witnessed.
0: I agree with you about Barty Carts, He's teaching what he knows. I think that's a good point. Yeah.
1: I mean, ultimately, that's that's what it's about. And I think this, Harry Resisting, just perks his curiosity and is like, ooh, okay. Like, what else can we do now?
0: Also, I think we have to remember that J.K. Rowling needs some avenue to teach us about the emperor's biblical curses.
1: Yeah, there's obviously some plot devices going on, (laughs) undeniably, yeah. And this is a good portion of the story to tell it, because we are about to round a curb here that we can't come back from. Like, this is...
0: Talk about getting into the weeds, like Harry is about to go through
1: some stuff. I know that Maze has a lot of weeds. (laughs) That's a dumb joke. I'm sorry. No, but we talk about Prisoner of Azkaban being like the tip of the roller coaster before it goes screaming down. Mm -hmm. We're screaming down it. Like Goblet of Fire is intense in a lot. I know it hasn't seemed like that so far. We've gotten through a lot of like, I will not, I hate the term filler. Uh, I don't like the term. But there's some chapters where you're just going like, eh. Do we really need this? Because there's some big stuff coming.
0: So I will give this to J.K. Rowling. I think she is the type of writer she really enjoys to take a long time setting the scene. Yeah. There's been, I agree with you, I don't, I wouldn't call what we've read so far filler.
1: I hate that term. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But there's been a lot of subtle hints that we've We've read, obviously we have read the series before. So rereading it, we can see like, oh yeah, she's setting us up for this thing that is about to come at the end of the book. She's setting us up for this thing that's, like, she likes well, to there's... drop clues about what she's going to end us with. I mean,
1: right off the bat, the, the Frank Bryce chapter is a change-up. And that's a Those are always some way. of
0: her best chapters when she Agreed. does a change-up like that. Agreed.
1: Yeah. Uh, you like them a lot. Yeah. And... Um, we'll talk about it when we get to book six, but book six is a big changeup too, and I didn't like it at the time, but on rereads, I actually really grew to like it more. Mm. I'm more of
0: a fan of the first chapter of book seven for her changeups.
1: Well, book seven's a whole... I know. It's its own, (laughs) it's its own
0: wonderful, beautiful beast, but...
1: Anyway, we've been through a couple of chapters that have had a lot going on, and it's really gonna slow down very little (laughs) from here on out. Mm -hmm. So uh, be sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram. We still have a ton of stuff to post from our Harry Potter Magic of Play. We're continuing to do it. Uh, If you're listening to this episode, uh, if we're going through the holidays, so happy holidays to everybody.
0: Yes, for sure. Uh,
1: Happy New Year. This episode is dropping on December 31st. So Happy New Year to
0: everybody. Happy 2023.
1: Happy 2023. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of crazy to think about.
0: That is, yeah, and no, that it's really crazy.
1: <laughs> so, uh, we hope you had a great holiday season uh, and uh, we're getting ready for the new year. So, we'll see you Woo-hoo! all in 2023 for much more Goblet of Fire. So, thank you all for listening and we'll be with you again. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast.